church. Good to see you all. Welcome everybody joining us online as well. If you're new with us, my name is Pastor Jason. I'm one of the guys on staff here. If I haven't met you yet, I would love to have the opportunity to do that. If you've got a minute or two after the service, I'll be hanging out right down here uh, right afterwards. So before we get into the message, I want to add an addendum to the message uh, we brought last week on pornography. I failed to mention the fact that we, we, actually, we have a really uh, special group that meets here at the church every Friday night called Celebrate Recovery from 6 to 8 p.m. And I love the way in which they express who they are and what they do together. Basically, Celebrate Recovery is a place for anybody that has a habit, a hurt, or a hang-up. So essentially, it's everybody in the room, right? It's like all of us has a habit, a hurt, or a hang-up, okay? So playing field can just be leveled, right? But it's a sweet, sweet environment. Um, They share a meal together, and then Pastor Kirby gives them a word of encouragement, and then they break down into support groups. And so if you haven't been a part of that, I would at least encourage you to pay them a visit at least once so you're familiar with, uh, with what they do. And uh, along those same lines, many of you might already be aware of this, but unfortunately, our city this week will become the nation's epicenter for sex trafficking with the Super Bowl and the Phoenix Open here in the Valley. Phoenix will become the nation's epicenter for sex trafficking. And all that comes with that, right? All the collateral damage, you could say. The strip clubs will be full. Um, There's a couple of ladies that have a very special ministry. Kelly and Lauren have entered into a unique space. They have an outreach called Lighthouse, and they reach out to women in the adult entertainment industry. And this Friday, they actually have a specific mission that they're doing. Uh, they're, They're visiting the strip clubs and engaging the women there and giving them just simple, small gifts just to let them know that they're known, they're cared for, and if they want help or if they want someone to talk to, that they are available for them. And somehow, within the sovereignty of God, they actually have permission to do this from the club owners. They're going to be in the lobby. I've known Kelly's husband, Kyle, for uh, several years. Just amazing people. Kelly and Kyle are uh, regular attendees of Illuminate. This is their home church, and this is the ministry that God has given them. So I would encourage you on your way out, right as you leave the glass doors, the girls will be out there. And just have a quick conversation with these ladies so that they can tell you more about what they do and about how, in some way, you might be able to get involved. So, the message this morning is for every person in the room. Does that sound familiar? I've been using that language almost every week because the tendency is to hear something like this, what we're about to receive this morning, and immediately think, I really hope so-and-so hears this message. 
they need to hear this. What I'm saying is, it's for you. And it's for me. It's for anyone who uses words. And we all use words. And with those words, we make promises. But we don't always keep our promises. Isn't this the reason why we have contracts? You ever go to buy a house? For at least a half an hour. Sign here. Sign here. Sign here. You have no idea what you're signing because you're not reading the fine print. But there's a lot of fine print. Why? Because we have to, we have to bring to bear the, the weight of legal procedures. Because humanity in general, we're just not that good at keeping our word. So you're signing these documents. You don't know what you're signing, but you understand the fact that there's going to be serious consequences if you don't follow up on what you say you're going to do. We're just not very good at it. And some people are really, really good at using language that excuses them from responsibility. Really, really good at this. They know they shouldn't be doing something, but they're so good at using language, they can manipulate words in order to get away with something they know they shouldn't be doing. For example, I heard a Christian apologist talk about the instructions that you're given by the flight attendant before you leave the runway. Very specific words are used surrounding the smoke detector in the lavatory. Very specific language. Goes like this. It is a federal offense to knowingly move, deface, damage, destroy, render inoperable, or otherwise improperly tamper with any smoke detector. Move, deface, damage, destroy, render inoperable, tamper. Six words used to describe what you can and can't do with the smoke detector in the bathroom. Why can't they simply say, just don't touch it, right? Like, just don't mess with it, right? Buckle up. <laughs> Why can't they just make it simple? I, I dug a little deeper because I got curious about this. Why so many words? Well, apparently at some point in time, some individual took a pen or a pencil and did some damage to the smoke detector, but they didn't touch it. I learned that people who smoke would enter the lavatory, take paper towels and get them wet, and then cover the detector in smoke. Technically, they didn't touch it. They didn't destroy it, but they did disable it. So, <clears throat> don't touch it. Don't tamper with it. Don't destroy it. Don't disable it. Don't render it inoperable. Somebody somewhere 
has found an excuse to do exactly what they wanted to do. So now we have to become very precise in our language in order to hold people accountable because we as humans can be very, very good at intentionally deceiving one another. Now, this is especially important when it comes to the Christian community, right? Because we have this message. And this message, also known as the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, it's the most important message people can receive. And so when there's incongruency between what we say and what we do, well, that's one of the reasons why people just, you know, they say, why would I want to go to church? Because it's filled with hypocrites. And that undermines the very message that we want to share with others. And so this is why Jesus speaks directly to it. Now, um, let's remember that the words of Jesus bring life. And so whenever we read a command, here's what we should expect. We should expect to see the fruit, to experience the good outworking of the words of Jesus when we apply them to our lives. And so this is certainly true with what we say. You know that there are two, three pillars of any relationship. Life is all about relationships, right? Communication, respect, trust. Those are three of the primary pillars of any relationship. And so when there's inconsistency between what you say and what you do, well, then you've just robbed yourself any, any hope of having a meaningful relationship. And so, once again, we hear from the words of Jesus as he's giving this sermon, greatest sermon of all time, on the side of a hill just above the Sea of Galilee. Now, context is important because in the crowd, it's a mixed group. On one hand, you have very religious people known as the Pharisees and the scribes, and they were the ones that, told people what to do and how to do it. In other words, they said, if you want to make God smile, here's what you have to do. The problem with them is that they would take the rules of God to places that God never took them, and it made it very burdensome for the people. It's like, where am I going to find this in the Bible? Well, you're not, but we're telling you. Then you had the common people, people even at best maybe irreligious. Then you had people that were just, they were really surprised by Jesus because there's never been any, anyone like him. He's saying the most profound things, and then he's doing some pretty crazy things. Some soup. This is, I think, in large part why all these crowds were surrounding him because it's like these people were, walking, were running around. It's like, hey, I was blind, but now I see. Well, how'd that happen? Well, this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, healed me. And so everybody's like, wow, this is like a show. And they start following him. And then he starts feeding them. And in a day when you were struggling to make ends meet, if you were getting a free meal, that was kind of a big deal. So all these crowds are, are following Jesus with all these different interests. And then Jesus starts dropping these sayings and it's super offensive to religious people. He says, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders are like, excuse me, what? See, people think, people will say, nowhere in the Bible does Jesus claim to be God. They couldn't be more wrong. In Jesus' time, day, and culture, he did it in the most explicit way possible because the religious leaders understood that there is only one person who forgives sins, and that is who? God himself. So when Jesus appears and he starts telling people, your sins are forgiven, the religious leaders are out of their minds. They're like, hey, do you understand what you're saying? That, that, that only God can forgive sins. And Jesus is like, yeah, I know exactly what I'm saying. And at one point, he even claims the name of God for himself. They ask him, who do you think you are? Who do you say that you are? And he says, I am. And they're like, okay, where can I find a big heavy rock? Because I'm going to drop it on this dude's head. 
He's a blasphemer. Because way back in the Old Testament, Nexus chapter three, when God has this encounter with Moses, giving Moses instruction in law, Moses is like, hey, when I go back to the people, I'm gonna have to explain who you are. Like, what's this meeting about? Who I'm meeting with? Who are you? And, and, and God says, tell the people this, I exist. Crazy way to describe yourself. Literally, I am. It's the verb of existence or being. And so when they ask Jesus, who, you, who, who, who do you think you are? Jesus says, I am. Excuse me? Yes, I'm claiming the name of God for myself because, you see, I come from God. I'm sent by God. And by the way, my mission is to forgive people of their sins. Yeah, that's right. Only God can do that. Now God is doing that through me. And they hated him for it. So all of this is sort of a buildup to the fact that this is how Jesus gets crucified. They want to they kill him, get him out of the picture. They think he's a blasphemer. Well, uh, eventually they succeed. But on, but on the way, Jesus has some words for them. And this religious group in particular, they're the focus for Jesus' message about keeping your word. The religious leaders abused it. Religious, religious people can be very, very manipulative. And so what they would say is they, they, they would do things like this. They would say, um, they would tell the people, do not, do not, do not break your word. When you make an oath to God, you are bound to keep it. And they appealed to that specific language. There's one part in there that they focused on, and that is your oath to God. If you make an oath to God, you are bound to keep it. And so what the religious people would do is this. They would make an oath to everything other than God. An oath is essentially something you swear by. So... By making an oath to something other than God, it was as if, well, you know how when you're a kid, you, you say, hey, um, I promise to share with you. And what are you doing? Right? You cross your fingers and you put them behind your back. As if to say, I'm not really gonna keep this oath, right? I'm doing something that gives me a loophole or a way out, and I'm not obligated to keep my word. Well, that's exactly what the religious leaders were doing. So they would swear to everything other than God. They would swear to heaven. Well, that sounds, that sounds weighty. They would swear to earth. They would swear to the holy city of Jerusalem, or they would swear by their own lives. And Jesus says, we're not playing that little game. You're intentionally deceiving people with your words. You're defrauding them. You're leading them to believe something about you that isn't true. And Jesus calls them out. They love playing this little game. How can I trick you into thinking I'm telling the truth when really I'm not? And uh, I think if we were to be honest, this is part and parcel of human nature. So Jesus' teaching now follows the same pattern. He'll say, you have heard it said, and he's either quoting literally from the Old Testament or he's quoting from these religious leaders. Either way, he's addressing the misguided actions of, of these people. So Matthew 5, he says, again, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. So this is a quote from the Old Testament and the people in the audience who knew their Bibles well 
That's the Old Testament of the Bible of Jesus' day is the Old Testament, what you have in your hands. They knew it well. They're like, oh yeah, we're familiar with that. It comes from Leviticus chapter 19. Now, Jesus gives his response to the religious leader's manipulation of this text, verse 34. But I say to you, don't take an oath at all. What I'm saying to you, don't swear by anything at all. And let me just call out the things that you swear by. Either by heaven, because it is the throne of God. Don't swear by earth, because it's his footstool. Or even by the holy city of Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, King David. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. So sometimes we do this when we speak. If we really want to convince somebody that we're, we're going to follow through with what we say, we might say something like this. I swear on my mother's grave. And it's like intended to make people like, oh my gosh, you're dead mom? Wow, you must really be serious. I am. When we swear in judges, right? sometimes politicians, what do they do? Place your hand on the Bible. Well, what's going on there? It's like we're, we're appealing to an authority greater than ourselves or the ultimate authority. I swear to God. And uh, pulling back the curtain, these religious people would swear by everything just short of God's authority. And by doing so, that was their loophole. That was their way out. Very careful to swear to things less than God. Therefore, they can back out of their promises. Jesus is having none of it. He said, okay, you wanna play that game? Let's tease it out. Even if you swear by heaven, that's God's domain. You swear by earth, that's where God rests his feet. You swear by the holy city of David, that's God's city. You swear by your own life, that's what it means, your hair, whether black or white. That's like this equivalent of saying, I swear by my own life. Well, God is the one who gives you life. In other words, Jesus says, there is no domain by which you could swear by that isn't under God's jurisdiction and he sees it, and he knows it all, and he knows exactly what you're trying to do. So these guys were really, really crafty. They thought they could escape God with their words, but Jesus says he's always a witness to what you say. So an oath is meant to strengthen the truth, but actually in the end, it was weakening it. Because even when we do this, it's like what we're saying is on my own, I don't really have the ability to follow through, so I'm gonna appeal to something bigger than me to make you think that I'm serious about it. Uh, I, I like what uh, G. Campbell Morgan wrote. He said, an oath is always a revelation of a possibility of deceit. So this is where social psychologists bring some interesting information to bear. It turns out that when people have a habit of saying, I'll be honest with you, right? We've all done it, we all do it, right? Turns out that people who, who say this quite often, hey, hey, let me be honest with you, I'll be honest with you, guess what? It turns out those people, they're not that honest. 
And, and what's happening is that's actually, that actually becomes a smokescreen for their dishonesty. Let me be honest with you, as if in every other occasion you're not honest. It's better, I think, to say, let me be candid with you, because to be candid is to say, let me give you full disclosure. I won't withhold anything from you. So um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, puts this in its proper context. He says, the Old Testament condemned the lie by the use of the oath. Okay? That's what we read. But Jesus destroys the lie by forbidding oaths altogether. The oath must go since it is a protection for the lie. And so for those who twist this command and manipulate their words and deceive others, man, there's some pretty serious consequences. It's like you're associating yourself with someone you might not even realize. And so he adds this, verse 37. So let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So Jesus says, if you have to add something to your words, you're on really dangerous ground because there's borderline evil that's about to be involved. If you are often asked the question, do you promise? That might be an indicator that in general, people don't take you at your word. So this is an integrity issue. So interestingly, Jesus adds this. Let's say yes, yes I will, or no I won't. Anything else leads to evil. He's like, wow, that's like, how is that possible? Well, in John chapter eight, Jesus is with another, basically same kind of crowd. People are hostile, people are curious. To the hostile people, he says this, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Kind of like the idea of like, like father, like son, like son, like father, right? You're acting like a, a family member. So that's why when, when Jesus comes, he's like, I came to essentially remove you from this earthly kingdom relationships that you have and place into a heavenly kingdom. That's why, that's why we're, we're considered a family and children of God. So he literally says, you've been adopted into God's family. So kids should act like their parents. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Everything he speaks is a lie. And when you do the same, when you act manipulative, you, you know, you're acting just like that old family that you were in before. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. It's his nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So if you remember in our study of Genesis, super, super crafty, very manipulative. The, mo- the, the lies that are easiest to believe are the ones that have a little bit of truth in them, you know, and it's like Satan appears in the garden and he, and he comes up to Eve and he says, hey, tell me about that conversation you had with God. Did God really say, all of a sudden, what's, what's happening there? That's manipulation, putting thoughts in her head. God, I don't know, is God, is God really, does he really have your best interest in mind? Did he really say this to you? Because that doesn't seem right. Did he really say that you shouldn't eat from it or that you shouldn't touch it lest you die? Well, he's, God never actually said that part of it. So he's planting all, he's taking a little bit of the truth and twisting it. And... Jesus says, that's what Satan did from the beginning. And when you do the same thing, you gotta be real with yourself. You're acting just like he did. So th- there's a reason why the world is so jacked up. Can you imagine if everybody kept their word all the time? Could you imagine that? How different the world would be. So, uh, is it wrong to take any oath at all? Well, no. 
because there's an instant in the life of Jesus where he actually does make a public oath. In Matthew chapter 26, he's hauled before this judge and this judge says, essentially, I'm asking you to swear before God. Are you the Messiah? And Jesus picks it up and lays it down. He says, yeah, okay, I'll take that oath. I'll go on record publicly. Yes, yeah, I am. There's a difference between a public oath and private oath taking. And that's what Jesus is forbidding here. It's the fact that you would always have to swear to something greater than yourself. Public oaths are different. So when you're standing before your husband or your wife and you're committing your, yourselves together in marriage and, and you have these things called vows. And a vow is an expression of, of your, your desire, your heart's intent to, to live according to these, these standards that are a blessing to, to your husband or wife. And you're doing that in the presence of your friends and your family and of God. That's great. That's accountability. Because if you have really good friends who are there, when they see you deviating from that, when they see you, you know, maybe mistreating your spouse, if they're really good friends, they're gonna come knocking on your door and they're gonna say, hey, I'm coming to you in love as your friend. When you made that commitment to your spouse, and yet you do or you say or you treat, let's get back to the promise that you made before God and your friends and family. You've heard me say it before. Anytime you have a, a, a presence where you know, you're speaking or communicating, you'll make enemies just because there's a certain, certain percentage of the population who just have a straight up authority problem. It doesn't matter what you say or what you do, just by virtue of presenting, they're immediately gonna have a problem with you. So I've got all kinds of people. Go read the YouTube comments. They're actually kind of fun, you know? If, if I ever wanna be built up in terms of what I wear sometimes, I just wear, I just read the YouTube comments. Or my hair, my hair's a big one. <laughs> so, so what's, what's, what's happening is that you have a lot of people in your life that will stab you in the back. And what I'm saying is, from a scriptural standpoint, what we need more of are those brothers and sisters in Christ that will just stab you in the front. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. In other words, what they're saying is, can I just enter into that really private space of yours as a friend who loves you and cares about you? And I'm, I'm about to bring something that's gonna be a little bit painful. And I'm gonna risk the relationship and there by the grace of God, go I, so I'm not judging you. I'm trying the best to take that log out of my own eye, but because I love you, here's what I want to speak to you. You know, that, that's a public oath that is, th those are good things, okay? What Jesus is talking about is the interpersonal, everyday conversation. Like, if you have to continually appeal to something greater than you in order to, you know, convince people that you're going to keep your word, you have a problem. Now, Ray Fowler gives three very practical applications. Number one, he says, be honest with your words. Proverbs 12, 22 says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully, God actually takes delight. No lying, this also would include exaggerating. Truth is absolutely necessary for trust. And here's the deal. 
speaking truth and following through on what, you're going, what you say you will do, it brings tremendous freedom in life. Thomas Fuller wrote, if I speak what is false, I must answer for it. But if I speak truth, it will answer for me. Number two, be thoughtful with what you promise. Ecclesiastes 5, 2 and 5 says, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. In other words, God is always the witness. God is on high. He sees and knows it all, even the intention of your heart. Better that you don't make a vow than make a vow and break it. Now, here's the deal. Some of you, some of us are people pleasers. If I was to ask right now, who in the room is a people pleaser? Pleaser. pleaser. You know who's gonna raise their hand? People pleasers. <laughs> right? Because you don't want to seem impolite. You don't want to seem rude. You, you hate rudeness. If you're a people pleaser, that's like one of your pet peeves. You don't like rudeness. That's like one of your hot buttons. You don't like that in yourself. So what happens is oftentimes people pleasers will say yes because they don't like conflict. They don't like being seen as impolite. But then sometimes they get themselves into trouble because they commit themselves to do things they really don't wanna do. Then they have a hard time backing out of it and then all of a sudden the anxiety begins to build. What am I gonna do? What am I, I committed to this, what am I gonna do? Think of it this way. By saying no, that actually is a protective measure over your own personal integrity. Think of it that way. By saying no, that's actually a way to protect your own integrity. Now, the Apostle James notes that when we say we'll do something, um, we should couch it in these terms, if the Lord wills. It goes, goes back to what is said in Ecclesiastes. God is on high. We are here. God is sovereign. Whenever God speaks, he'll carry it out, man, because he can move things around. Everything is in his hands. Not so much for us, James 4. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town. We'll spend a year there. We'll trade, and we're going to make money. Sort of the arrogance behind some people's hearts when making money. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You go out on a cold day, and you and you can see your breath for a second or two, and then it's gone. And that's actually your life, right? We've talked about this before. What's the name of your great-great-grandmother? What's the name of your great-great-great-grandfather? I don't know, but the dude had like a whole life here on earth. You know what I'm saying? He had a family, he had kids, he had a career. I don't even know who he is. I have no idea what he looks like. I don't even know his name. the vapor. In other words, what he's saying is you, you just have to put yourself in the proper context, reality. You're here for a short time. You can't control events. God controls everything. So, so living under the sovereignty of God, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll live, and then we'll do this or that. As you and I both know life is very, very fragile. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Thirdly, be faithful in following through. Psalm 15, one says, he whose walk is blameless, who speaks the truth from his heart, who keeps his oath, 
even when it hurts, this person will never be shaken. Let me just share with you. Keeping your word, even when it hurts, that's not an easy thing to do. Let me give you just a real benign, just sort of a low vulnerability moment here with you, okay? This is low vulnerability, all right? I've got bigger issues. I'm sharing a shallow one with you, okay? All right, let me say that. So one of my bucket, Super Bowl's coming to town. One of my bucket lists, my bucket list items is to go to a Super Bowl. Several years ago, I had a friend approach me and say, I've got a couple tickets to the Super Bowl. Do you want them? I'm like, yeah, I want them. A few days later, a friend of mine, he tells me that he has cancer and that it's terminal. And he's got a wife and he's got young kids. And I'm like, oh. And he happened to be a Seahawks fan. Don't hold that against him. He happened to be a Seahawks fan. Seahawks were in the Super Bowl. And I had these two Super Bowl tickets. And so he's telling me the story, and I'm like, oh, man. I'm like, I felt bad for him in the moment. You know, I'm like, hey, man, do you want my Super Bowl tickets? And even as I said that, I'm like, what am I saying? <laughs> I don't even think I really mean this. He's like, that would be amazing. I'm like, he's got cancer, you know, it's not good for him. He's got family, I'm like, all right, do it. And even as I'm speaking out of the flesh now, even then I was like, how can I come up with some excuse to get those tickets back? That's pretty gnarly, isn't it? That's where my heart was at. In fact, at one point, I even went online to figure out how much those tickets were worth. That's how messed up I was. So he goes, he has an amazing time, and then the dude fully recovers from cancer. It's awesome, so I'm super happy for him, man. Fully recovered, he's doing great. <laughs> you keep your word to your own hurt. You know what that is? That's integrity. Because you're all gonna enter that space where you're like, oh no. Uh, I said it, I did it. Now, what does it really mean for me to follow through? Why is this important? Go back to what I said earlier. Why Jesus speaks to it. You know, he's talking about a kingdom of God ethic. We should be very different than the world. We should, we should be hurting. In other words, we should keep our word to the point that it cost us something. Otherwise, we're no different than anybody else. I could have, as a pastor, I could have very, very easily manipulated and gotten those tickets back. I could have done that very, very easily. One last thing. Let me encourage you to be truthful with yourself. Be truthful with yourself first. What do I mean by that? Well, you know, intuitively, we all know this. We all feel it. There's just, there are things that we do and say that just we know are wrong, and we do them anyways. This is what the Bible refers to as sin. We're all born into a dysfunctional relationship with the God who created us, period. So God, just, he just can't ignore all of the wrongs that you and I do. Otherwise, he wouldn't be just. 
So when we see bad people do bad things, as long as it's not us doing the bad, we cry out, justice, justice, give them what they deserve. But when we do wrong, what do we say? Mercy. So here's the beautiful thing about the Christian message. The justice of God and the mercy of God, they collide at the cross, and Jesus is murdered. He dies. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That tells you just how serious God actually takes it. But in his great grace, love, and mercy, Jesus becomes a sacrifice on our behalf. All of our junk falls on Jesus, and in return, he gives us eternal life. But you know, you have to, you have to get real with yourself. And you have to have an honest, honest conversation that begins with the simple recognition that we all do wrong. We all fail, and this is why we're studying the, the commands of Jesus, because we need them, because by nature, it's, it just doesn't come easy. So, um, what is it for you? You know, what is the Spirit of God saying to you? I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we end our time. In one way or, or another, it, it kind of comes down to just who we think we are. And in that sense, it's like every Every man, woman, and child is just this constant struggle answering that question, who am I? And that's just at its core for all of us. It's, like an, it's, not, it's not like an identity issue. We all struggle with it. And so Jesus comes and he says, hey, I can answer that for you. I came to give you life, purpose, and meaning because what you're pursuing right now is actually robbing you of your life. In a word, what he's asking is complete and total surrender to one who is benevolent. See, that makes a difference. You know, you know, nobody wants to surrender, but you should, you should absolutely surrender to a supernatural, sovereign, benevolent being. And that's how the Bible describes God. So God, whatever, whatever God is speaking to your hearts, you know, we're gonna have some of our prayer team down in front, invite you to come and have them pray with you, pray for you. They'll be hanging out after the service as well. I would encourage you to take advantage of that. Father, thank you. Once again, for the good words of Jesus that give us life. When we obey the commands, we experience the abundant life that Jesus spoke about in John 10, 10. Many people simply existing, but not really living. You came to set us free from all the noise all the distractions. Your lifestyle is what we're after. But it begins by being reconciled to the God who created us through your good work on the cross. Grace, mercy, justice, all of it brings, in the end, forgiveness. Father, I pray that your spirit would move in a powerful way even during this time, Lord pray that maybe whatever strongholds have been in people's lives, God, that they would be completely and totally set free because we know that's what you do. Think of the man named formerly Saul who becomes Paul and he walks into the church and everybody's stunned that he's there and they can't believe the life transformation that this guy had because formerly he killed Christians and then he becomes one. In fact, he becomes the most vocal because his life is so transformed. 
God, that's what you do all the time. Do it in our midst. Lord, for our good and for your glory. And God's people said, 